And now it is my pleasure to introduce the man with the inspirational message as a wonderful gift for us today, our spiritual director, senior minister. Please join me in welcoming Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Welcome. Sweet. We already sang that. We'll sing another one now. Okay. So if you're here for the first time, it'll be okay. I promise. And welcome. Uh, We start every week with uh, a song. I've been accused that it is the only song I know, but that is not true. But I've tried to change it, and that hasn't gone well either, so we're singing that one again. Uh, And then we'll go into an affirmative prayer. So if you'd like to stand with me and do that, I welcome you. If not, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every year for spirit one spirit So I invite you to share my words. What I know in this moment, there's one life, one power, one infinite activity in and through and as all of life. And what I know about that, it is my opportunity to claim that as my own. So I claim that life in this moment. I surrender to the power and presence of God within. And in that, everything aligns. Everything lines up beautifully and wonderfully. And so whatever there is for me to know in this moment, I am present with that. And I listen and I pay attention. And I bless it and honor it and I move forward inspired and enthused and resourced and the insights and the beauty and the joy of this moment is eternal and so I give thanks this day knowing that for myself I know it is an opportunity to share that with others in the spirit of generosity we come together today to see the divine in one another to see God in every moment as that song so beautifully says we bless it I bless the music the space between the, the notes, between the words, that beautiful silence. May we, each and every one of us, myself, in this moment, receive all that is brilliant and wonderful and seeking my attention in this moment. My vow is to say as present with that as possible. So I give thanks. Wonderful things are unfolding here and now. This is my knowing. This is my vow. This is my commitment. I give thanks for that opportunity to be alive, to think, to choose, to put down and to embrace to be in that beautiful give and take of life, the reciprocity, the cause and effect. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Please be seated. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I received an email from our our board president here at the center this week, and it was a a story that uh, it seems that that God had sent an angel to earth 
and, uh, and the angel was asked to see how people were doing. And in the survey, uh, the angel went back to heaven. Of course, this is an anthropomorphic God, which we don't teach, so don't, don't let me confuse you, but it makes a good story. Anyway, went back to heaven and reported to God that about 95% of people were really, really struggling. But 5% were just doing extraordinarily well. And so God wanted to make sure the research was correct, so he sent another angel. The other angel went down and came back and said, you know, whatever you call God, God, I guess, Mr. God or Your Holiness, whatever it might be, that about 95% of people are really struggling on the planet, but 5% are doing really well. So God decided he would send an email to that 5% and just really, you know, honor them and thank them for doing the good work and continuing to do the good work and know that I'm there for you. And so God sent this email to the, the, the 5% that were really doing well. And do you know what that email said? Me neither. I didn't get it either. So, <laughs> so thank Norm when you go home. Love that. Yeah, I haven't a clue either. If you run in anyway, they did get the email. Let me know. So we're using Don Miguel's the fifth agreement looks like this. The four agreements are in there. If you're wondering where the four agreements went, they're inside the five agreements. And next week, we're going to finish it up with the fifth agreement. But this week is about always do your best, which in the, in the title of the lesson is uh, Practice Makes Perfect. Because everything we've done in life that we have mastered, everything we've mastered, we practice. It requires the practice. It requires the spiritual coin, whatever it may be. Where we are right now in our lives required practice. You may not agree with that, but it's actually the way life works. And practice makes the difference. So everything, everything requires a repetition and practice. So the 10,000 hours, as Malcolm Gladwell talks about in Blink, to master any proficiency. And I believe that's true. So the first three agreements we've talked about over the last several weeks, if you practice, number one, the first agreement, being impeccable with your word. Number two, don't take anything personally. And number three, make no assumptions. If you practice those three, if you start there, those are the virtual, that's that's virtual reality. We all live in a virtual reality. And what happens is, is we start to live by those agreements with more mindfulness and awareness because what this practice requires is awareness. Awareness, awareness, awareness. Waking up, waking up, keep waking up. And if we start to go back to sleep, wake up some more. But it's practice. The neat thing is it's just practice. It's not talking about perfection. It's not talking about mastery. But this leads there. But we just have to be willing to practice, which is great news, because I'm willing to practice. What will happen with those first three, those first three agreements, we will start to break thousands of agreements that keep us trapped in the dream of hell. Hell, I think the best definition I've heard of hell, and most recently, is being wanting to be anywhere than right here, right now. That's hell. Looking back in our lives, I talked about it a couple months ago, this idea of envy. Envy is simply wanting life to be different than it has been. That's envy. And I think that's a great definition. And so when we fall into one of the, you know, the, the envy is considered one of the seven deadly sins or the, you know, the seven big mistakes. But envy is wanting your life, looking back, saying, I wish it were different. I wish I'd done this, this, this. It could have come no other way. Based on your consciousness, based on choices, it's not predestined. But based on the consciousness at the time, you make the best choices you can. So you did your best. It may not feel like your best. The wonderful news is it's not static. Life is always shifting and changing. What happens is we follow those first three agreements. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally and don't make assumptions. The, the better we get at that with greater consistency, it, it takes us to heaven. 
We live in heaven. And heaven's right here, right now. And hell's right here, right now. Being impeccable with your word will take you all the way to heaven. It will help you create a beautiful life. Would anybody here like to create a beautiful life? Or a more beautiful life? Most of them are in the front row here today. That's good. Because <laughs> they're not raising their hands back there. So. so if we support the first agreement, we move into that. And they're difficult. The first three agreements are really difficult. Because they feel impossible. How do you stay impeccable with your word? You know, how do you just really bring the mindfulness to say, do I really need to say this? Am I defending or deflecting or making excuses or am I blaming another? How many people here have ever eaten rat poison? Anybody? Okay. I didn't do that either. Didn't get the email, didn't eat the rat poison. But I think it's a great example of uh, what it does for us when we judge others, when we point the finger and judge others. I want you right now to think about somebody that you don't like or some situation on the planet that you really don't like, something that you hate. Maybe some of you don't have that going, and that's, that's okay. But if you do, I want you to really think about that for a few moments. I'll be quiet. Maybe you hate me being quiet. That's okay, too. But if you notice a shift, the shift within when we do that, when we say, I hate that guy, I hate that woman, I hate the situation, I hate so-and-so. Now, does it have anything, any effect at all on the person we're hating or the situation that we hate? No. It's like, it's like holding a hot coal in our hands, waiting to throw it at someone. All it does is it poisons us. It's like eating rat poison. But we do it because we've been conditioned to do it, and, and that's part of our life. We have things that we've been, we've been domesticated, as, as Don Miguel Ruiz talks about. I remember in, I was, went to Catholic grade school, did 13 years of Catholic grade school, and those beautiful nuns, I have nothing but great love and appreciation because I was unique in my approach to how they taught and my participation in it. And so I really honor their patience. Some of them were very patient and kind, and some had less patience. But what I remember, one of the memories I have about the domestication was that there was a practice, and I was not considered the best student in the class. I was the clown, and I would entertain. Most of the time, I was in the back row all by myself, trying to get everybody's attention. So my spiritual gift at that point in time was distracting everyone from the lesson. And I remember that what we'd do is we would raise our hands. There would be a competition to get called on. Um, call on me, call on me, call on me. And because I was considered not bright and not a good student, I know the chances of them ever calling on me were non-existent. But I realized all of us wanted the approval to look like we were smart, we had the answer to step into that perfection. So I'd sit there. I learned after a while. I'd just stick my hand up, and I'd be, call on me, call on me, call on me, because they were never going to call on me. And then one day, Sister Mary Beth called on me, and I didn't have the answer. But I had my hand up because I was certain they would never call on me because I wasn't bright and all the smart girls and boys sat up in front but it's just an example of how that whole we were like trained seals call on me call on me call on me we had the answer and if we had the answer then it it made us feel smart it made us us feel safe I just figured I'd raise my hand because that's what everybody was doing so we get domesticated into these ideas and they're not really our ideas but we, we shift into them part of the waking up process is just looking at how we've been domesticated, and deciding, as Don Miguel says in this chapter, we decide what works for us, what doesn't work for us. 
Is this adding value to my life? Is this helping create a beautiful life? And if I'm always con- concerned about pleasing others, chances are I'm not being impeccable with my word. I'm probably taking everything personally, and I'm probably making a lot of assumptions and making things up. So what this practice requires is distancing ourselves from our emotional life. And that's a challenge for us. But if you, every spiritual master that has ever come along, they've all taught the same thing. It's distan- dins- distancing oneself from our spiritual life. There's one of Don Miguel's facilitators, and she had been his manager. I think she's still serving as his manager as well, called, uh, by the name of Ginny Gentry. And she said that what Don Miguel would do prior to going to a city, um, Ginny would say as the manager, okay, what are we going to present? What's the, what's the workshop going to be? And Don Miguel would say, to her, well, whatever, whatever, whatever you, you, know, you go ahead and think of something. And she said, really? Yeah, whatever you want to just put anything on there that you think, of, think is good. So she'd do the publicity and they'd send out the posters and the emails and all the marketing. Don Miguel speaks on the mastery of love or whatever. But she would always put down what she felt she wanted to hear. And then as they would be entering the auditorium, Don Miguel would lean over to her and say, what am I talking about today? You know, two minutes before it went on. And so what he would do, though, he'd make sure he wove that sentence into whatever he was presenting. So what, what this ref- reflects is uh, further on down the road, as she became more proficient with her facilitation, Don Miguel uh, had finished up in the morning with 80, 80 students, and they had a new group coming in in the afternoon. And so he said to her, you're going to be the facilitator this afternoon. And she said, me? She says, yeah, you're ready. So she ran up to the room. at the, There was a break period at the lunchtime, and she was scribbling out all her notes, the things she was going to teach. And Don Miguel walked in after about a half hour of her, frantically writing her notes out and making sure she was ready to teach. And he said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm getting ready for this afternoon. He grabbed the paper from her, and he just tore it up, threw it in the wastebasket. He said, well, we're just going to go have fun. We're going to go play. And she said, really? And so what he did over the next couple of hours to get her ready for the, the afternoon was he kept her rational mind occupied with playing and having fun. Never let her think about what was going to happen in the afternoon. And she realized what happened was that in order for her to step into the trust, you can't get there with your rational mind. Is stepping into that space and trusting. And she said it was such a wonderful lesson because everything that she taught, just, it, it, it showed up. And that's part of the surrender. Talks about the surrender a little bit longer, further into, into this lesson today. But it's surrender. And we, we think surrender is defeat. And surrender is not defeat. Surrender is surrender. I surrender the power and presence of God within me. I've got to stop thinking. Ernest Holmes said, I don't know, but something within me does know. And it's trusting that. It's not throwing away the intellect, but it's working in tandem. There's got to be a balance there. It's the wisdom, it's the power, it's the love, all in balance in our minds. So when we get into judgment about people, that little exercise you just did, judgment is the first cousin to revenge. And so when we, we think about something we don't like, typically we get into the avenging or revenging ourselves. We were been done wrong. And it's an energetic and that revenge, even mentally, it never hurts another person. It just simply diminishes our capacity and our willingness to be in present moment. We know that. I mean, it's simple. It's obvious. And yet, when we don't have practices in our lives, if we don't have touchstones in our lives to bring us back to present moment awareness, we can spin and spin and spin in the story. And that's what you see out in the world. So it is stepping back from our emotional life and being present.
There is nothing more powerful or as sweet or as rewarding than the decision to love. If we look at the cultural conditioning, we think that when we show power and might, that is the most advantageous position to be in. Power and might allow us to be in that wonderful space we need to be in to be effective in the world. And it doesn't work that way. But most people believe that. Most people have fallen asleep in that dream. There is nothing more powerful, rewarding, and sweet than the decision to love. You don't have to look any farther than the life of Jesus of Nazareth to see that, or the Buddha, or Mother Teresa, or Gandhi. Thich Nhat Hanh, he, he became a monk in Vietnam when he was 16. And then things happened and he was forced out of his country. In 1966, he was nominated for the, the Nobel Peace Prize by Dr. Martin Luther King. And because it, he couldn't go back to his country, couldn't go back to Vietnam for a long time. But he had to make a decision when he was still in the country whether he was going to stay in the monastery and do his spiritual work privately or if he was going to go out and assist and help others. And he felt called to go help others. But he talks about enlightenment. Enlightenment, we don't have to go anywhere to be enlightened. It is that, you know, I stopped a moment back. I just stopped talking because I needed to stop thinking. And a, a huge part of my spiritual practice is to stop that inner voice. See, the ego, we think the ego has all this power and it'll, it'll bring these opinions and it'll bring things to our awareness that it'll torture us. For the longest period of time, my spiritual practice was the more judgmental, the more I can belittle, blame and shame myself, that eventually that's going to lead me to enlightenment. And I, and I share that with you. Maybe that's your spiritual practice. I don't share these ideas so you can go out of here and torture yourself and say, you know, I'm not impeccable with my word. And I don't think I ever will be. I'm sharing these words with you because I know it's possible for you. I'm sharing these words with you because I know to move into a, a greater uh, sense of self, a greater connection with spirit, which is available for all of us. It's why we showed up. And so it's having the practice in our lives to say, you know, this day I make a commitment to be impeccable with my word which means I would not say anything about someone else that I wouldn't want said about me. And I'm, I'm making up a story about someone or if I'm judging someone, why am I doing that? What's a lie for me? So it's not about denying it. It's simply w being willing to pull it close and say, what's going on here for me? Why do I have such a, an issue with this, such, uh, such an individual or so-and-so or this situation? Because my worry and my concern and my anxiety add nothing to it. In fact, it helps perpetuate that energetic of chaos. So Thich Nhat Hanh says the enlightenment is in any moment. It could be right now. When I can stop thinking, I consider it a victory. I celebrate it. Because I've got plenty of stuff going on in my head. So in this practice, Don Miguel talks about as they go through the noggle practice, detach from the, the emotional body. Detach, it's possible to not, doesn't mean we won't feel. 
Doesn't mean we won't have the full experience of it, but many times we put so much energy into not feeling what's real and authentic in the moment, we're, we torture ourselves more not trying to feel what's real, real in the moment. We've already tortured ourselves. Rather than just being present with what is. Saying, wow, look at this. Look how angry I am right now. Look how sad I am right now. Look how fearful I am right now. But to be able to have that conversation and not feel like you can never get back. But to be able to say, I'm working towards mastery here. Don Miguel says, if we can't get this in our hearts and minds, it doesn't matter. We'll never save the world. It's not our job here to save the world. Our job here is to save ourselves. You get that done, believe me, the world will change. The people around you will change. Some of them will leave and others may come into your life. Because as consciousness shifts, things shift. People, people no longer, because you're no longer agreeing with things that are in agreement against yourself. He said there's three things. Number one, don't go against yourself. To distance yourself emotionally, say nothing, do nothing to go against yourself. Number two, don't create circumstances that go against yourself. And number three, don't align with others that go against you. So if you have people in your life that keep that idea alive that you don't deserve. See, most people feel they don't deserve. I know this is true. Most people feel like, I hope they never find me out. There's all kinds of surveys on this. Most people feel like there's, they're not good enough. We've, taken, we, we've agreed to that. It's part of waking up from that dream of hell. And say, hmm, how far has this taken me? Is this, is this the highest potential that I can operate at on this planet? And so it's important, but it's difficult. It's difficult practice, but it's, it's practice. All we have to do is practice. It's other people's choice to love or not love you. But it has nothing to do with you. You can't earn somebody's love, but we think we can. Or earn somebody's approval, but we think we can. They're just making up a story about us anyway. So when we wake up from this dream, when we start to honor ourselves from the inside out, you know, I was raised in an environment where, you know, nobody would compliment anyone. My mother's mantra as kids growing up was, I, I don't want to say anything nice to you because you'll get a big head. I want to say, Mom, try it out for a day. Let's see what happens. <laughs> we can always go back to... I mean, our whole form of communication was sarcasm. When I got out into the world, I just thought everybody was sarcastic all the time. I had a guy working for me one time. He could go into someone's home. We did, I was, did a lot of uh, residential remodeling and had a, a cabinet business for a number of years. And he would go along with me at times. Within 10 minutes... He could, this guy was a genius. He could analyze the entire family by walking in and looking at him. He'd assess the wife, assess the husband, assess the children. And, and it was a stream of sarcasm for the next week or two. And finally, as I started to figure out <laughs> this wasn't helping, I said, look, man, you've got to stop this, you know? Because you can go in and do the, all these people's agendas. We don't know these people. It's none of our business. Leave them alone. But, but that was what, what was churning and alive in him, was that self deprecation, that criticism and anger and anxiety of not being enough and not measuring up and dealing with his own, with his own demons. And it, you know, it only took me a couple weeks to finally say, look, if you're going to work with me, you've got to find something more interesting to talk about. But I was used to that. I was used to that conversation. I had ten brothers and sisters. That's how we communicated. You know, if we couldn't say something mean to one another, we didn't say anything at all. That was our policy. And you know what the, I know about that too? We were doing the best we could. It was not, it's not a, I've made peace with that. We were doing, that group of people was doing the best they could. That's, that's the tools we had. 
John Miguel hadn't written this book. We thought life, you, you suffer, you offer up your sins for the poor souls in purgatory or limbo, wherever they are, and you, you suffer some more tomorrow. Eventually, if you go long enough, you'll die and go to heaven and be rewarded. Then The great thing is we don't have to die to go to heaven. Isn't that good news? I like that. I can go there right now. But it's honoring who we are in this moment and living from that essential self. I was talking to my buddy David Leonard last week, and we were talking about our Science of Mind 300 class. And, and David's in Huntsville, Alabama. He said, I don't teach Science of Mind 300 anymore. That's practitioner training. He said, I just want to teach the essential self. Everybody's in the essential self in my center. And that's what David's called to. He's just unconditional love. It's, he's just an amazing guy. I think the practitioner training is just a wonderful, a wonderful opportunity. And in our environment, I think it works beautifully because we have so many serious students of our teaching. That's a beautiful thing. And it's gradual, it's sequential, it's inevitable. But you have to step in. You have to do the work. So you can read the book. I've had people going out this morning at the early service telling me, this book has changed my life. But we have to continue to practice because we'll forget at times. We will forget at times. Don Miguel says it right here in, the, in this. Uh... Always do your best is the agreement that everybody can do. We can all do this. Your best is, in fact, the only thing you can do. And the best you can do doesn't mean that sometimes you give 80% and other times you give 20%. You're always giving 100%. That's, that's always your intention. It's just that your best is always changing. From one moment to the next, you're never the same. You're alive and changing all the time, and your best is always changing from moment to moment. So it's working with ourselves with wisdom and kindness. It's not static. He says, we don't expect that you're going to be impeccable with your word and that you're never going to make, take anything personally again or that you're never going to make assumptions. Your habits are too strong and firmly rooted in your mind. Just do your best. I can do that. This is not the same talk I did at 10 o'clock. And if I sit here and compare, I could probably find reasons why it was better then or it's better now. Don't tell anybody that you see somebody from 10 o'clock, by the way. It's just life. It's just what's alive right now. And, and the interaction, the energetic and the consciousness and the, the interaction that goes on between those services affects everything. It affects the musicians. It affects everybody here. It's, that's ancient history. If you fail to keep one of the agreements, make the agreement again. Begin again tomorrow and again the next day. Keep practicing and practicing. Each day will become easier. By doing your best, the habit of misusing your words, taking things personally, and making assumptions will become weaker and less frequent over time. It's true. If you keep taking action to change your habits, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It just is. So you, you, giving up is no option. You catch yourself falling back into the old patterns. Oh, that's right. I'm not doing this anymore. Part of my practice and continues to be is I want this infinite intelligence that I know lives in and through and as me to remind me whenever I'm going down that slippery slope. Bring me back. Bring me back. What this, what this practice, as Don Miguel talks about, it requires a huge amount of surrender. A huge amount of surrender. And most people don't like surrender because they think surrender means defeat. I surrender to the power and presence of God within me. And what it really means is aligning with the divine forces. Thy will be done, not my will be done. It's aligning with those divine forces. Surrender is the little me, the little egoic self. We all have it. See, the ego, you can talk the ego into anything. You can. Intuition is different. Intuition is an organic uh, sense of communication. I intuition is not spiritual. Everyone has intuition. 
There are times when you know the right things to do, wrong things to do. That's just a, that's just a divine uh, level of communication. But it's not spiritual. But we're, we're wired that way. And so th- that never changes. You know, when that little voice says, do this, do this, do this, and we ignore it, and then we make the other choice, and we have the experience, we go, oh my gosh, I should have done it. I knew, I knew all along I shouldn't have done it. That's how we learn to listen to the intuition. But the ego, the ego, you can talk the ego into anything. I'm telling you, if you start on the way home and you tell your ego, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be impeccable with our word because that's a really cool thing to do. And we're not going to take anything personally anymore. And we're not going to make any more assumptions. And we're going to do our best. If you keep that conversation alive with your ego, in a couple of days your ego is going to be going, hey man, we're impeccable with our word. The ego's like the village idiot. It'll agree to anything. <laughs> it will. The ego is just this voice in our head. I got an agreement with my ego going on right now. We just shut up once in a while and just listen. It's okay to be quiet. It's okay to be still. And then there are times when the conversation starts. Very interesting. When you just allow yourself to be present with what is. There's nothing more sweet, more powerful, and more effective than to decide to love. But if we don't love ourselves, and, and I'm not talking about this egoic love, Part of that is just to let the ego know, look, we're going to have a whole new conversation in here. There's going to be all kinds of great things happening. The right and perfect ideas are going to flow into my life intuitively as well as intellectually. The right and perfect people are going to show up into my life, the right books, the right opportunities. I am a magnet for great good in my life that's going to allow me to live an inspiring and wonderful life. But how many of us have that conversation? You get up in the morning, this is going to be an incredible day. I am blessed in every way, pressed down and overflowing. I don't care what my life looks like because this is temporary. Because there is a new consciousness being born right here and right now. And to step up with that passion and to use these tools, they're simple tools, everybody can get them, and show up and do your best. And you screw up by three, you know, 3 in the afternoon or 10 in the morning, you just go right back to it. You know what? I made a vow. I'm changing this. It's uncomfortable. New behavior is always uncomfortable. Carolyn Mace has this to say from her book, Entering the Castle. She said, You feel the mystery. Surrender is the ultimate test of the human experience. The ultimate test of the human experience, surrender. It is the, what, you are actually, what are you actually surrendering to? How is a prayer of surrender supposed to change my life? What does it feel like to abandon myself into the mystical arms of the divine? We either believe in God or we don't. You either believe in God or you don't. If you're hanging out with a bunch of people who wanted to, devote, uh, to debate the existence of God, get, get another group to hang out with. That's a boring conversation. Christ consciousness is a universal force, the energy of spiritual evolution, the realization within the individual soul that power, wisdom, and love must be balanced in the mind. All of this got to be there, power, wisdom, and love. With Christ consciousness, you experience the unity of all the universe. Yourself as part of a greater awakening to God as the universe and the universe as God. Christ consciousness means that you empty yourself of ego so that the spirit can come in. As Jesus said, empty thyself and I shall, be fill, and I shall fill thee. This is the consciousness of the third eye, the spiritual eye, which identifies the vision of the inner mind and receives information from higher sources. This is the consciousness you want to embrace in your third mansion. There's seven mansions in the, in the, the arena of the soul. This is from the work of Teresa of Avila. A consciousness that surpasses the rational mind. In surrendering to God, you enter a state of consciousness in which you fully engage in your life. You are fearless, full of faith, and possessed by an act of mystical purpose. You're so beautifully connected, no doubt. And these practices will lead you to that with greater efficiency 
and dexterity in your life. You live in the present moment. You follow guidance. Release your expectations of what the outcome will be. You live with great faith, but continue your devotion to your inner work. See, and this takes away none of our experience. We don't have to do any of this and get rid of anything. We'll just be in our lives in a different way. We'll lose the attachment to things that we think are precious and sacred, when in fact they're just things that we've turned into gods in our lives. Having mystical experiences, Carolyn Mace talks about her personal experience now, moments of quietude and illumination has only enhanced my life, not detracted from it. As I wrestle with my journey through the castle, which she means is her soul, metaphor for her soul, I would rather be swept away into the embrace of a divine vision than left behind with those who wonder whether there's a God, whether their life choices matter. It fills me with great contentment to know that I do matter, that you matter, and each prayer matters, and each thought is a prayer. What we are are trained thinkers here. We step back emotionally from our lives and we, ins- and we continue to nurture a new idea. And we do that through our minds. If experiences of mystical illumination reorder my life and priorities and position the numinous before the rational, then I see no other direction ahead of me. So it's just practice. We can practice this. It's our opportunity. And then you become that outlet for grace on the planet. The outlet for grace. And it's already there. See, we don't have to get any of this stuff. It's already there. We just become the avenue for the grace. And then we stand so potently in the love, first and foremost, for that divine self within us, to honor that. And it requires devotion. It requires surrender. It it requires that willingness. And it seems so paradoxical to us because most of us want to control it. Anybody here ever had a control issue? Because if we control it, then we measure up. And then we're right. So it's okay this week to be wrong. It's okay not to know. I don't know who's calling over there right now, and I'm, I'm good with that. It's okay not to know. It's okay to be wrong, to say I don't know. As Dr. Holmes said over and over again, I don't know, but something within me does know. And allow spirit to show up in our lives in a huge and wonderful way. This is not about diminishing us in any way. It's about getting all the members of our team on board and actively and dynamically participating in our highest potential and our greatest good. So this week, let's be impeccable with our word. Let's start practicing that. Let's not take anything personal. Let's not make any assumptions. Do that and do it well and and, and stand tall with one another and say, I did my best. And so it is. Blessings. Thank you.